Now, rather sadly, for the last time, I will introduce Dr. Charles Woodbridge, and I can say that it's not only been a joy to have him speaking here and bringing the messages from Romans and Doreen in the morning and 1 John, but of course my wife and I have the privilege of their friendship and their love which is a tremendous joy to our hearts and has been over these years. They're two of our dearest friends, through which we praise the Lord. Lord bless you, child. May we open our Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. We're starting all over again. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. And in a moment, we shall recite out loudly that great masterpiece, verse 16. But before we do, may I say that it has been a delight for Doreen and me to be in your midst. May I further add that by now you know that all these messages in outline form are in print. This is the last night they will be available there they are on Romans, right in your loose-leaf notebook, and you start to teach. Not only on Romans, but as you people know by now, on every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, plus the one on Bible prophecy. So that if you want to teach Ezekiel, or Daniel, or Revelation, or Hebrews, or any of the books of the Bible, These are available. I praise the Lord that wherever I go, I'm able to say that long after I've gone to heaven, if the Lord delays his coming. This Bible propaganda will be going on. That's what it is. Propaganda. To propagandize God's people to studying and teaching the word. How many are here for the first time in this series tonight? Let's see your hand. Very glad to welcome you. I take it for granted that you've memorized the first half of Romans, so you came tonight to fit right in with us as we continue. Everybody now, whether you know it by heart or not, will you please recite with me Romans 1.16. The first word is the word for, and here we go, ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now the first word is the word for. Will you please turn to chapter 3, verse 23. This you should have marked in your Bible. It starts with the same word. Chapter 3, verse 23. You know it by heart? Of course you do. Let's recite it. Ready? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now remember exactly where that's found. We will now turn to another verse that starts, believe it or not, with the same word. Chapter 6, right at the end. It starts with the same word. You've got it marked in your Bible. Chapter 6, verse 23, let's recite it. Here we go. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wonderful. You know, friends, 
right after this service, this church is going, to, is going to have a very brief commissioning service for Doreen and me. I'm thrilled. Missionaries. But in that connection, I have a little surprise announcement. Uh, I am tempted to do it now, Doreen, but I resist the temptation. <laughs> Amen. Resist it. Will you please turn now to chapter 12, verse 1. This is the last in a series of messages on Romans. Unfortunately, I have to omit that classic section, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. It's a shame to have to omit it. I had to make a choice, particularly in view of the fact that yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Israel, recognized as a republic in the family of nations 20 years ago, in precise fulfillment of Bible prophecy. For example, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. You know, did you watch that debate over television last June? Did you listen to the Security Council and then ultimately the whole thing, wondering what to do about little Israel? Did you listen to that? Day after day. I wish I were teaching Romans 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to skip to 12. This is in print. I can let it go. But you know what? My wife and I smiled again and again and again. Representatives of all the nations of the world, more or less, biting their fingernails, they didn't know what to do. Little Israel, a country of two and a half million, a hundred million more or less Arabs all around, and here are representatives of all the world debating, debating, and finally they reached a great decision to adjourn. If only they had taken the time to master Romans 9, 10, and 11, they could have adjourned after 15 minutes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you haven't recently read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Wonderful. But right now we're turning to chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Be sure that in your Bible these first two verses are marked. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I have read the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. Quick review, final review for this week. Question number one. How may a guilty sinner be prepared for heaven? How is it possible for somebody who deserves nothing but hell to have fellowship with the righteous God? 
Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, a stupendous chasm separates a righteous God from unrighteous man. The chasm of sin, guilt, wrath, judgment, condemnation, and death. God's answer, a bridge. Justification by faith alone, apart from the deeds of the law. I spent two hours on that bridge. Thank God that a person is pronounced righteous, received as righteous, welcomed as righteous, declared forensically to be righteous, justified not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Romans 3.28 Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Now, when Paul has laid his foundation, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, he then begins to build Romans 6, Romans 7, and then the beginning of Romans 8. How can a justified believer now, from day to day, live to the glory of God? Beautiful! Romans 6, Romans 7, the early part of Romans 8. Then, the windows of heaven are opened in the rest of Romans 8, and the blessings of God are seen, showered upon God's people who have been justified by faith, and who are walking in the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, right on through the 8th chapter of Romans. Then this interlude about Israel, Chapter 9, 10, and 11. Her past privileges, her present predicament, and her future glory. Now, at long last, we are ready for chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, your bodies. He's going to get right down where these bodies of ours now live. You know, the Christian is not an angel. Sorry to disappoint anybody. You are not an angel, nor will you ever be an angel. Angels are a different category of being. You and I live right here on terra firma, we do not exist in a vacuum. We sustain certain relationships. The theme of these final chapters of Romans as follows. Now that we've been justified, now that we've learned the secret of walking in the Spirit, now that the blessings of heaven have been showered upon us, we are still right here 24 hours a day upon this earth, we sustain certain relationships. I mean by that horizontal relationships toward our fellow men. We are not suddenly transported into the place of ethereal delight right while we are here on earth. We do not live, I repeat, in a vacuum. The theme of these final chapters of Romans is this. 
the believer in his relationships right here now on this earth. The Apostle Paul singles out several of these relationships. I'll mention just a few of them. Will you look again, please, at verse 1. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Will you please look up from your Bible? He is going to talk about the horizontal relationships in just a moment. But to begin with, he is determined to get this thing straight. If you and I as believers are to maintain horizontal relationships which bring glory to God, then the first thing to remember is that our relationship to God himself must be sustained. The vertical relationship. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. If you and I are living lives which are acceptable to God, then we are prepared to live lives which will adorn the doctrine we confess in our horizontal relationships with our fellow men. Did you ever read about a diver? He's at the bottom of the ocean, a diver. He has his tools, he has his instruments. He's looking for hidden treasure. What is it that concerns this diver? He's very busy. But the main thing is, or at least it used to be, that he maintain his contact with that which is above. So it is with the Christian life. Paul's going to discuss these horizontal relationships, but he starts with the vertical relationship. If there's to be peace and harmony in my home, for example, then every member under that roof must maintain a proper relationship with God. If the husband is to have a proper relationship toward the wife, this must be triangular. That's right. The husband in proper relationship with God. The wife in proper relationship with God. Then you have the possibility of harmony. Now that is the basic principle. We start with the vertical relationship. Holy, acceptable unto God. Oh God, here is my body. I'm supposed to present it to you, a living sacrifice. These hands of my Lord, if you want me to dig ditches, I'll dig ditches. If you want me to write a book, I'll write a book. These hands, Lord, these eyes, I want them to behold only those things which will glorify my Savior. These ears, I refuse to lend my ears. The noises which dishonor the Son of God. This heart, may it beat increasingly with love for my Savior. And these feet, very real to me right now, 
because these feet of ours are going to take us a distance in a few weeks. These feet, Lord, if you want me to go to the ends of the earth, amen, my feet happen to be part of my body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now that is relationship number one, and that is supreme, that has the priority, and now we are ready for some of these horizontal relationships. Will you please look at verse 2? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look up from your Bible, please. You could teach this. Why don't you start to teach Romans? Very simple. All you do is this. You get the people and you say, will you please open your Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Stay a couple of chapters ahead of them. Huh? Teach. Teach. The theme of this book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of it. Now in these next few messages you're teaching, we're going to explain the gospel. Now where does it start? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. You're on your way. God is righteous. Over against that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Great go fix. Why don't you teach it? Then justification by faith alone and the people are right with you and soon you're up to chapter 6. Now the question is how are we going to live from day to day to the glory of God and they're with you and soon you're at chapter 8 and you're praising the Lord then you settle down again, you settle down again. Your relationships now as you move out in business and elsewhere, keep the channel open toward God, keep it open. Your body is presented as living sacrifices. Now you are ready for these horizontal relationships. Chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this what? World. Doreen was speaking about that, weren't you? Only she was using 1 John. What does John mean in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. First John two, fifteen to seventeen. You see, Doreen's been coaching me. <laughs> or could it be the other way? Amen. <laughs> it's wonderful, it's wonderful to have a wife whose life matches her teaching. Amen. But what does Paul mean here? What does he mean? 
Be not conformed to this world. What does John mean? Love not the world. What does James mean? James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore is the friend of the world is the enemy of God. James, are you sure you're kind? Paul, are you sure you're not an extremist? John, are you positive you're not a right winger? Have you ever heard these things recently? If there's a young man here who is thinking about entering the gospel ministry, don't dare enter the gospel ministry unless you're called of God. But if you're called of God, you stand for the word of God from beginning to end, whether people like it or not. It is totally irrelevant what human opinion is about you if you're teaching and preaching the word of God. Be not conformed to this world. That's the second relationship, number one, to God, now the horizontal relationship to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Does everybody here know what Paul means by that? What's the world? Does he mean the sunset? Does he mean the stars, the planets, the constellations, the waves, the oceans, the seas? He does not. Why, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, so far as nature is concerned, you're thrilled. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Do you know what that means? That means that the transition from day to day is eloquent of the magnificence and power of God. No, this is not what Paul means. What does he mean when he says, and be not conformed to this world? What's the world? Can you explain that to a teenager? It means very simply, human society, people, who have no use for the things of God. That's the world. People who couldn't le care less about the word of God who have nothing to do with the Lord Jesus. That's the world. The Bible teaches that His Majesty the devil is the prince of that world system. He's the God of this age. And that is what Paul means. He means people in any century who spurn the things of God. That's the world. That's the world. It has its own outlook. It has the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now you have been justified. You have been pronounced righteous. You have earned the secret of victory. God has opened the windows of heaven and showered his blessings upon you. All right. Keep that channel open. Your body is presented a living sacrifice. And so far as this world system around you is concerned, do not be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's people are in this world, but they are not of this world. The Apostle Peter puts it this way. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. 
What does a pilgrim have in common with a stranger? A pilgrim and a stranger, they are both on their way somewhere else. They reside here temporarily, but they are on their way elsewhere, 1 Peter 2.11. We Christians are on our way to glory. If anybody ever says to you, where do you live? Well, I reside in Long Island. But if you want to know where my home is, glory. That's it. Doreen, did you tell the story about Dr. Bach? Sometime, you know, we have to coach each other. <laughs> we have a beloved friend, a dear missionary friend, you know. He was about 80 years of age. He was about 80 years of age. He was walking with the Lord, walking with the Lord. Wonderful man of God. And years ago, Doreen was driving him somewhere. They were going up the mountains of Southern California because because this dear missionary, he really loved the Lord. He loved apple pie. And so he said to my wife, this was long before we were married, Sister, would you mind driving me up the mountain? I love apple You know, they were halfway up. They stopped for gas. And the attendant saw him. Oh, doctor, he mentioned his name. Oh, glad to see you, doctor. Where are you going? Classic answer. He said, son, I'm going to heaven. But on my way, I'm stopping by for some apple pie. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Isn't that wonderful? I have a very dear friend who was a missionary to China. He really was a friend. I got to tell you what happened. This fellow really loved the Lord. Big smile on his face. His home in China had been looted, L-O-O-T-E-D, twice. Once by the fleeing Chinese. Then when he got some things together again, the Japanese looted twice. He came to me with a big smile on his face. He said, you know, I'm home on furlough. I've been going from coast to coast speaking in churches. He said, there's one thing I covet for my American Christian friends. I said, what is it? That they might be looted just once. <laughs> once. So they realize they can't take it with them. Amen. You know, big smile. Well, you know, I ought to tell you about that missionary. I was preaching in my pulpit down in North Carolina once, Sunday morning, you know, preaching. Came back to my home, the manse, they used to call it the manse where the preacher lived. And you know what? There was a note from this missionary. He had six children. He had come in while I was preaching. He had gone to the icebox. They had had a wonderful dinner. Six children, mother and father. Nice note. Thank you a lot. See you later. <laughs> See? I just thought of this one. He believed in practicing. He was looting. <laughs> The believer is in the world, but he is not of it. Do you know what that means in simple English? You and I are not to fool around. Not to fool around with the things of the devil. No, sir. We're supposed to be out and out for Jesus Christ. Be not conformed to this world. That doesn't mean we have a chip on our shoulder. No holier than thou you teenagers who are here tonight, no holier-than-thou attitude, always loving, always kind. 
But if in the high school these some of the boys that you know are blaspheming and taking the name of Jesus Christ in vain, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot possibly fill that assignment unless you have come by the ray of Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Then you're ready for this next, and be not conformed. I'm just going to mention two or three of these other relationships. Will you please turn to verse 4? Romans 12, 4. Here comes the third one. Number one, to God. Number two, to the world. Romans 12, 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Do you know what this third relationship is? Oh, we do not live in a vacuum. Your body is presented as a living sacrifice to God. Now, so far as the world is concerned, you're a testimony to the world, but you do not join forces with the world in promoting the work of Christ. What's this third relationship? The third relationship is to the fellow members of the body of Christ. Doreen and I have loved it here this week. We hate to have to say goodbye. On Sunday, we start a new series in Arlington, Virginia, then the next week in Phoenix, Arizona, then back to our home in California in a few weeks, Australia, all over the place. And why is it that we have a little note of sadness in our hearts? Because the members of the body are joined together in the real Christian affection. We really love your pastor and his wife. We love them. As a matter of fact, in view of I'm being taped, I better be careful what I say. Always got to be careful. Uh, be very cautious. I love your pastor better than I do some of my unbelieving relatives. <laughs> I put it very mildly on purpose. What do I mean by that? God's people are knit together. You people who used to go to Word of Life, you know what's meant by a BB. I made that up. All over the world they say that. You know what a BB is? A beloved brother. Your pastor's a BB. Wurtzen's a BB. Amen. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, no fingers crossed, you really mean business for God, you're witnessing for the Son of God, then you're a BB. I got off a plane down in Lima, Peru once. I've never seen this missionary. In five minutes, mm, we were close like this. He was a BB. He said to me, say, those are nice looking brown trousers you have on. He was a BB. <laughs> Guess who was wearing them the next day? He's a BB. That's right. That's right. I'm still waiting for somebody to start a group called the BSs. Beloved sisters, 
I cannot start this. But this is what Paul is telling us now, the interrelationships now among the members of the body. I'm not going to stay on that at great length. I mean, we've had an exhibition of that this week. Why do I need to exegete it? Will you please turn to chapter 13? Here comes the next relationship. We're moving. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Skip to verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Look up from your Bible please. Relationship number one is to God. Relationship number two to the world. Relationship number three to the fellow members of the body. Relationship number four to the higher powers, and that means government, human government. The 13th chapter of Romans is a classic on the subject of the believer's relationship to the state. I'm not going to stay on that. It would take three hours. Did you ever hear of this great Christian theologian whose name was Augustine, St. Augustine, Florida? You've heard of Augustine? Great Christian writer. If you can ever read any of Augustine. He wrote many books. Augustine. Back in 410 A.D., the city of Rome was sacked by the barbarians, and the Christians were blamed. Augustine was Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. Augustine picked up his quill to defend the Christians over against the barbarian accusations. And he says the Christians were not responsible for the sacking of the city of Rome. No. The name of his book in Latin is De Civitate Dei, translated into English, On the City of God. Augustine, basing what he has to say upon such passages as Romans 13, comes out with this. The child of God who's been born again has a loyalty first and foremost to Almighty God. But he also has a loyalty to government. He prays for those in authority. He prays for them. And if ever, for example, the United States of America needed our prayers, it's right now. I don't know how you feel about it. But I believe that the judgment of Almighty God is beginning to be visited upon this land. While I'm on that subject, when the United States came into America, of America came into existence, theoretically at least, the great ship of state had a rudder. It had a rudder. When this beloved nation of ours was born, the great ship of state had a rudder. And that rudder, the word of God, to all intents and purposes now, we have cast away our rudder. When you cast away, the, did you ever try to steer a ship when there was no rudder? Did you ever try to steer it? Round and round and round and round in circles. This nation is going round and round in circles. We cannot even beautify our highways without confusion. That's right. 
Nevertheless, you and I as believers have a loyalty in prayer. We are loyal. Other things being equal, there is no finer citizen, one who keeps the law of the land, Paul is telling us, than the one who has been justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Relationship number one to God, these bodies, number two to the world, number three to the fellow members of the body, number four to human government. I am now ready for number five. Chapter 14, please. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Will you please turn to a verse which you should underline in your Bible. Some of you may need this verse. Will you please turn to verse 8? Romans 14, 8. It is a magnificent verse. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Verse 8. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Do you know what I would do if I were you, friends? I would mark that in my Bible and I would memorize it. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now will you please turn to verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, here it comes now, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Verse 20, please. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Glance up from your Bible, please. Relationship number one to God, then to this world system, then to the fellow believers in the assembly, and then to the government, and now this next. You and I who have been justified by faith sustain a relationship toward the weaker brothers in the assembly. We have a responsible for other, responsibility for other Christians who are not as strong in the faith as we are. How long have you been saved? Twenty years? He's a brand new Christian, just been born again. You have a solemn obligation under God toward the conscience of that weaker brother. I'd like to be specific, if you don't mind. What do I mean by that? If you should come up to me after this service and say, Dr. Woodbridge, do you drink cocktails? I'd say no. Then you say, why not? Well, if you want a good medical reason, I'll refer you to a Christian doctor. I'm not a Christian MD. I'm the other kind of doctor. But I happen to have been teaching Romans 14 recently, and I find in the Bible that as a mature believer, I have a solemn responsibility 
toward the consciences of weaker brethren. I wouldn't dream of doing anything like this. It doesn't say in the Bible, Behold, if thou partakest of a cocktail, thou shalt suddenly drop dead. It doesn't say that. Number one, cocktails hadn't been invented. But there are certain things we wouldn't dream of doing. Why? Because we have a solemn obligation toward the consciences of weaker brethren. I used to be pastor of a Presbyterian church in the South. I had the joy of leading to the Lord a young man who had been a drunkard for seven years in the gutter. His family smashed a mess. He found Christ as his Savior, and God even took away the desire for drink from him. He was a wonderful young fellow. We became good friends. And one day I said, Ernie, Ernie, when you first started to drink, how did you start? Did you intend to land in the gutter? His face got a little red. He said, you want to know how I started? He said, I had a beloved mother who was praying for me. I was just on the verge of receiving Christ, and this is what happened. New Year's Eve, big party. I'm invited, got to save my job, I go. There was one man in the city who was a Presbyterian elder. He was my ideal. Whatever he did, it's good enough for me. So when the cocktails came, I watched him. And this Presbyterian elder took a cocktail. So I took a cocktail. I watched him again, he took another one. I took another one. He took a third. I took a third. He said, I don't know what happened to the Presbyterian elder, but I know what happened to me. I landed in the gutter for seven years. I haven't the slightest idea who that elder was, but I know a few things about him. Number one, he hadn't studied Romans chapter 14. Or number two, if he had, he couldn't have cared less to, about being obedient. And number three, he didn't care about the life of a fellow who was just on the verge of receiving Christ as Savior. All this relationship is important. Incidentally, I believe that everybody here knows that when it comes to this area of drink and other types of worldliness, did you people know this? The world often has a higher standard for believers than believers do for themselves. Did you know that? Right. Remember the story of Wurtzen? Have you ever heard this? Jack was flying from Los Angeles to Dallas for a great mass meeting, you know. He told me. Great mass meeting. He was going to speak to a mass meeting of young people in Dallas. He was up in the plane getting his message ready. Wonderful place to study in the plane. No telephone. He, he had a great time. He was studying, you know. Had his Bible, you know, studying. All of a sudden, about four rows back, he heard the stewardess. Cocktail, sir. Cocktail. So Wurtzen told me, I thought I'd better get better light on my Bible. I got a little bit closer to the aisle. Three rows back, martini, sir, martini. Wurtzen's reading. Two rows back, cocktail, sir, cocktail, sir. All of a sudden, the stewardess is right opposite Jack. There's a pause, and she says to him, tomato juice, sir? <laughs> he hadn't said anything. He hadn't said anything. 
the world often expects higher standards for believers than we do for ourselves. Right. We have a responsibility toward the consciences of weaker brethren. I think I'm going to do this tonight. I think I'm going to do it. We've had a great time around Romans. It's just like a plot. First five chapters, how to be saved and how to live to the glory of God. Now the windows of heaven are open. But we got to go back to that office. we got to go back out there. we got to go. So the body is yielded to God now moving out, not conformed to this world, the relationships among the members of the body, all of this toward the government, toward the consciences of weaker brethren. Will you please turn to chapter 16? Chapter 16. Paul is now going to tell these people goodbye. Romans chapter 16. Look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Skip to verse 6. Great Mary, who bestowed much labor on us, verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, verse 8. Great Amplius, look up from your Bible. Years ago, when I had a few hours to spare, I started to reflect on the 16th chapter of Romans. I have never seen the members to whom Paul was writing, obviously. But you know, the names of these people are very intriguing. Many of these names in Greek mean something. For example, pretty soon you'll read about philologus, that means the lover of the word. Asyncretus in Greek, that means incomparable. I never met them in my life. Anybody here named Asyncretus? No, no. But I can figure it out if there were anything like their names, which they may not have been. But if they were, that was quite a congregation. And one day I tried to figure it out, no authority behind this, no inspiration, just playing with their names. Probably their characters didn't reflect, uh, uh, reflect their names, but it was a, I had fun. What was that Roman assembly like? So I took their names and I figured it out. I'm now going to introduce you to the head usher. In all probability, he wore a carnation in his toga. <laughs> you want to see him? He, I, he may not have been, but what a name. Will you please look at verse 9? Here he is now. Here he is. Salute Urbani. Look up from your Bible. That's from the Latin. It means a city. Urbs. He was the city boy. He knew his way around. He was the usher. He was the head. You know, I'm just making this up. See? I'm trying to picture what this was like. A syncretous incomparable. Oh, that must have been the head of the deacons. You know, you can figure this out. But why am I doing this? There is one man here, his name, oh, he was probably, he was unquestionably a wonderful man, but what a name. What a name. I'm simply going to read it, and then I'm going to say, if there's anybody in this congregation who is something like what that name implies, 
Mm. Will you please see him in verse 11? Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the house. Here he comes. Household of Narcissus. Don't misunderstand me. He was a wonderful fellow. He, don't misunderstand me. But the name, Narcissus. I am not a horticulturalist, but I know a lot about a Narcissus. One thing about a narcissist, they tell me, I've been reading up on it. You can distill the essence of the narcissist and you have something which is soporific. Do you know what that means? That means it puts you to sleep. In every church where I've been a pastor, I've had at least one or two narcissists. <laughs> nice I remember, I won't tell you where it was, I won't tell you, but there was a lovely lady always sat on the front pew, beatific smile on her face, the message going right in one ear and out the other ear, and at the end she said, thank you, pastor. <laughs> so far as I know, she was never at any prayer meeting never did anything to advance the cause of Christ with one exception, one exception. On Monday, when the janitor cleaned up, he didn't have to dust that one place. But apart from that, apart from, I mean, I want to be fair, but apart from that, oh, oh. Up at Word of Life Island once, I talked to a teenage boy, I said, are you a believer in Christ? Yeah. I took his hand, I felt like putting it in the goldfish bowl. Ooh. Ooh. I thought of it. Is there any Christian here you've been a, are you a Christian? If that's true of you, you know what you need? Get down on your knees and ask Almighty God to forgive you. Confess your sin and pray that the Holy Spirit of God will fire you up. How many lives do you have to live? How many? You got what? Anybody here getting younger? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you told the truth, I'd like to meet you. Hey, man. Hey, man. Huh? Now, over against that, I want to introduce you to my friend. I never met him, but what a name. What a name. Will you please move on down just a little bit, please? Will you please turn now? verse 14, here he comes now. Salute Asyncritus, that's not the one I mean, I mean the next one. Phlegon, Frank, this is a terrific name, Phlegon. Wonderful to see Frank down there. You know what Phlegon means in Greek? You know what I mean? Oh, he may not, he may not have been like his name, don't misunderstand me. But what a name, Phlegon, that means on fire, F-I-R-E, on fire. On fire for Christ. Huh? I had a missionary conference out in Kenya, East Africa, a few years ago. 200 missionaries, and I was teaching them twice a day. 7,000 feet high in Kijabi. All of a sudden, a tremendous fire came up the side of the mountain. One mile long, full speed. And the missionaries and their helpers went out to meet the fire. 
What'd they do? Take a few buckets of sand? They did not. One mile long. What'd they do? They kindled intermediate, intervening fires, backfires, and when this tremendous flame came up, as soon as it hit the burnt out area, bing, stop. Do you know what the best way to meet fire is? With fire. This old world is on fire. And the best way to meet it is for God's people to take the word of God, get themselves immersed in it, and then move out on fire for God. And with that thought, I'll bring this series to an end. Let's all unite in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we worship thee, we praise thy holy name. No God, if there are any here tonight who have never come by the way of the early chapters of Romans, they've never yet trusted Jesus Christ, the wonderful Son of God, as their Savior, may the Holy Spirit himself convict, woo them, constrain them, Persuade them and enable them to receive Christ Jesus as their Savior and start for heaven. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if Doreen would come up. It's a real joy for me to have Dr. and Mrs. Woodbridge, Charles and Doreen Woodbridge. God bless you, Doreen. And uh, a joy especially to take part in this commissioning of our dear brother and sister to the work of the Lord as our missionaries at large to Australia. And my prayer is that the Lord Jesus will so richly bless them that uh, the desires that are there that have been put on fire by Jesus to go there will see great fruit, tremendous fruit. And if last week were to be as a fleece that they had put out to see if God is blessing, I think you'd know that God was blessing tremendously. And uh, I'd like to, if I might, just read a portion that you uh, didn't use tonight, Charles, in Romans 10. If you turn to it, 10th chapter, the 9th to the 17th verses. And then I'm going to ask uh, our brother Steve Rowland, who is the uh, chairman of the missions committee, if he would come up and uh, lead us in prayer as we commission Dr. and Mrs. Woodbridge to the work of the Lord as missionaries at large, our missionaries at large, to Australia. As you know, they'll be leaving September 6th, and, and then I'm going to ask after Steve's prayer if first Doreen would like to say a word, and then you, Charles, would like to say a word. The portion is in uh, Romans, the 10th chapter, beginning at the 9th verse and going through the 17th. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And of course we've been uh, memorizing 116. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then this glorious portion, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach? These are a lot of questions, aren't they? You were mentioning the questions of Paul. How shall they preach except they be sent? And this is the part that we have, the sending. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How the Lord has blessed us here this week with the glad tidings of good things as we've listened to both Dr. and Mrs. Woodridge, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, this is the sending forth. And uh, we won't see them before they go, because their meetings will now take them as Dr. Woodbridge said, down to Washington, to Phoenix, out to the coast finally, so that uh, they end up on the West Coast and then leave by ship for Australia. So Steve, if you'd come forward at this time and lead us to the throne of grace, and then I'm going to ask immediately following that if Doreen would like to say a word, and then you, Charles, all right? Could I say one word? Yes, you can. Right. Let me say a word. All right. You know, Steve Rowland, Steve is our chaplain, you know, at Franklin, not only chairman of the, of the missions committee, but he's the chaplain over at the Franklin General. And he just gave me his card today. It was 6,700 and some odd visits to the hospital. 6,400. 6,400 it is. Praise the Lord. And 46 souls saved for which we praise the Lord. Amen. All right, Steve. I'd like to just say one thing tonight, and I just want to be brief, but I think it would be nice for everybody that's here tonight to go home and read the first few verses of the chapter 13 of Acts. Now that was the commission of the first missionaries in the early church. Now it says, I'm only going to read to a couple of verses. It says, Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, 
and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now there are four or five things that are exactly the same with us in this, com in this commissioning of Doreen and Dr. Woodbridge. The first thing, that teachers. The second thing they, they were, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Doreen, Dr. Woodbridge, for the work to whom I have sent them. Now the third thing was, after the church had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Now the next comparison is here. Being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now these people are going to leave, as I understand it, they're going to leave San Francisco by boat on September the 6th to go to Australia. They have been called by the Holy Spirit to do this. They've never been there before, but God has called them to this work. And you know what? I like the words of Matthew 28, 20. They've never been there before, but they know the Bible better than I guess any of us. And it says here, Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Now may I suggest, Pastor, you put your hand on the shoulder of Doreen and Charles as I have laid prayer. All right. Dear loving and blessed Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to come into thy divine presence tonight as we commission our dear saints in the Lord, Brother, Sister Doreen and also Brother Charles, as they go the foreign missionary field once more to bring the glad tidings of salvation to many who have never heard. It has been well said that a man has a right to hear the gospel once before another hears it twice. And so, our Father, we commit them into thee by the power of the Holy Spirit that thou will be with them every moment of the way. We realize that these dear people are led by the Spirit of God and they practice what they preach. And our Father, what a joy it is to commit them to the Holy Spirit as they go forth to bring the gospel to those who sit in darkness. Our Father, give them good health, give them the necessary strength, give them the wisdom, and the tact, and everything that's necessary and is required for them to bring the gospel, leaving the results entirely to the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Right. Thank you. Praise the I'm not going to take very long, because I know the hour is late. But when I was in Bible college, and that's quite a number of years ago, my Bible college principal gave me one verse as I left. 
and it's been my life verse ever since and I want to share it with you tonight 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 and this is a wonderful encouragement as we go forth to a land that we know very little about I've been reading a lot of books lately and I've got a lot of statistics in my head I can tell you how many sheep there are in Australia uh, not to the actual one but there are about 150 million sheep and about 12 million people so I guess we'll eat a few lamb chops down there but uh, uh, there's a great deal we don't know there's much more that we don't know than we do and we don't know what's around the corner don't we don't know what the future holds we don't know what problems there will be or what obstacles or what joys but I love this verse and the Lord brings it back to my mind again in these days and God is able and I love all the alls in this verse God is able to make all grace abound toward you 